Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. Well, today, Karen and I have a very, very special guest with us, someone who you definitely will have come across if you've ever Googled anything to do with narcissistic personality disorder. So we are absolutely thrilled to be joined by internationally renowned licensed psychologist, Dr. Eleanor Greenberg. Dr. Greenberg specializes in teaching psychotherapists across the globe how to diagnose and treat those with narcissistic personality disorder, as well as those with borderline and schizoid adaptations. She's a member of the New York Institute for Gestalt Therapy, and she's on the faculty of the Gestalt Center for Psychotherapy and Training. And she's an associate editor of Gestalt Review, which is a peer-reviewed professional journal. Dr. Greenberg has been in this field for a very long time indeed, graduating in psychology way back in 1970 and receiving her PhD in 1979. Eleanor is the author of the book Borderline, Narcissistic and Schizoid Adaptations, The Pursuit of Love, Admiration and Safety. And she's a prolific writer on the subject of personality disorders for the general public, including on Quora.com and on PsychologyToday.com. Most impressive of all is that Dr. Greenberg has played a major role in increasing the general public's understanding and awareness of narcissistic personality disorder on a worldwide scale, arguably more than anyone else in the field. If you want a narcissist to hear you, what I recommend is what I call a narcissistic sandwich. Here's what I do as a therapist. I say, start keeping track of your husband's good qualities that you admire. Mm-hmm. I say everybody has good qualities. Everybody has positives. Mm-hmm. And I can list them about people I dislike intensely. Doesn't stop me from recognizing that Hitler was a wonderful public speaker. Mm-hmm. And he had a really interesting design sense for large groups of people and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, do I wish he was dead sooner? Yes. Mm-hmm. The point is I get the women to make this list and then the, to make the list powerful Find a time in your memory when your husband actually did something that worked Mm -hmm. from your list and be specific. 
and tell it to someone else because it increases the power of whatever you're saying because they like external validation and they've already gotten used to you. So the fact that you told someone else, Mm -hmm. so the intro is something like this. Before you tell them what you want them to change, you might say, you know, I was thinking about something that you do that's quite wonderful the other day. And I was telling my Mm -hmm. friend and she was Mm -hmm. asking me questions. And I remember the time when you dealt with that consumer group, we were, someone had sold us a defective something and we couldn't do anything at all. And you got on the phone and you managed to get to the right people and you knew exactly what to say. And Mm -hmm. you were both firm but when you got to the higher up, you didn't disparage them. You, you just handled it perfectly. We got the money refunded. Now I have their attention. I have details. Mm-hmm. I, w- I remember I was sitting on the sofa and you were by the phone because you may not remember this. And I was so impressed by that. I never forgot. Mm-hmm. Now I've established I'm not an enemy. Mm-hmm. I see their good points. Now they have a choice. They keep me out, but then I'm not going to say any more nice things. Yeah. And I make the feeling very small compared to the other, which is if you wouldn't mind you know, and I know you're really gracious about these things. A lot of the time, I'd like A, B, or C. Uh, Would you mind if I called so-and-so? I think our son needs tutoring. Yeah. And I know you're so busy that you do intend to do it yourself. But, you know, you have other things that you do, like what I just said, that, that help the family. Would you mind if I, if I called the tutor for him? You see what I'm going with is I want a tutor for my son. If, I, if it's my idea, he's going to reject it. And then I go and I say, thank you. You know, I was telling someone the other day how much you support me doing these things for the family that often, you you know, you tell me what's needed. You know, you know exactly what's needed. And, you know, you're a very busy person. So sometimes I have to hire someone to do it, but you've identified it. Now I'm giving him ownership of it. Because if I take ownership, he's going to fight me. Mm-hmm. That's an example of what I call the narcissistic sandwich. I begin with the positive about them Mm -hmm. i put in a little request Mm -hmm. phrase delicately Mm -hmm. to jar the mood and then i quickly shift it back to praising them and then i give them ownership and chances are and the piece that i do in narcissistic judo when all else fails is i give them ownership of something that i thought of Mm -hmm. to do that i simply say now you may not remember this because you do so much for so many people and you have a lot on your mind. But I remember the time you said, that's a great restaurant. We should visit that sometime. And I, you know, I wasn't willing at the time, but I've decided you're right. Uh-huh. We really should go to that restaurant. A lot of the wives, the, the non-narcissistic husbands um, in these relationships, they've got to the end of their tethers and they just can't be bothered to even do that. But it's really useful for workplace narcissism, isn't it? Or maybe the children who, you know, have to have a relationship with their narcissistic parent. Or I think just in the negotiating side, because that's how you're going to achieve a settlement. As a lawyer, it's about that sandwich. It's about having that little bit in the middle, that filling um, that's, that's surrounded either side by something that's going to attract the narcissist. That's really such a key skill if you're a mediator in a family breakdown situation, because you're constructing that sandwich. You're looking from one side of the couple what needs to be in the sandwich. And from the point of view of the narcissist, you're encouraging them to want to make that small change. And by little steps of that nature, that's how you're going to create a settlement. And it really is a very gradual build-up. 
it's what I would call getting the yeses. So you get those little tiny bits of agreement. And I, I think that's a really good strategy for achieving that. But it does involve everybody having buy-in to how it works. And of course, people have to understand that they're dealing with a narcissist, don't they? They have to really get that they're dealing with a narcissist. Oh, absolutely. And it's right back to that education point that you can't do this if, if right from the root you don't realise that this is what you're dealing with because then you, you, you've got no clue what strategies you're putting in place. And, you know, you wouldn't even think about, about dealing with things in this way or the need for it. So I have a question for you, for you Karen. Do you mediate? I do. Yeah, I do two types of mediation. One, what I'd call classic mediation. And I train mediators in a different form called hybrid mediation. Now, the only difference with that is that the mediator can hold confidences. So it works very well where one person thinks they've been subjected to narcissistic or similar abuse, but they don't want to call it out. But they just want the mediator to understand the dynamic of the relationship so that the mediator can you know, build the sandwich that you were talking about uh, so that they can use their techniques to get those little yeses and build up to a settlement that gets somebody out of the relationship. So, yeah, I mean, I, in, in our country, unfortunately, Eleanor, the court system is underfunded and it's full of delay and it's not the judiciary's fault, but it's not a good place to be. And so there's a big encouragement at the moment to, to resolve things out of court and hybrid mediation where you have someone who suffers from narcissistic personality disorder is probably the best forum to use or arbitration if you need to have someone who's going to make an adjudication or a mixture of the two so you mediate first and see how far you get and if you really can't do it then you have somebody already lined up to make the decision so I'm a family lawyer and a mediator and an arbitrator so lots of different hats out of all the different hats I wear I think I probably enjoy being a mediator most because you're allowing people ownership of their own outcome and you're just helping them achieve it. And it's an outcome that the couple own for different reasons. For example, the person who is being subjected to NPD, their outcome might be to get their life back, their children out of the situation sooner rather than later, rather than the best possible financial settlement. And then the narcissist may just want to win. So if you can give them a win, and achieve the two together then you've got two satisfied clients you tend to leave court with everybody feeling like a loser because if a judge gets it about right probably everybody's a bit disappointed whereas in mediation everybody can come out feeling like they've won if the mediator can can structure it in that way so it's really rewarding work well that's wonderful because just as they say therapists don't work narcissist and they say the same thing what I hear is my their divorce lawyers don't really understand what they're up against or how to deal with it or how to advise and that's a real problem um, are both of you mediators I'm not a mediator what I do is I support people in narcissistic relationships but particularly in the area of separation and divorce and as you know the narcissist through narcissistic injury narcissistic rage particularly if they've been left will ramp up their abusive behaviors to huge levels in separation and divorce. And again, there's that need to win, etc. Most people haven't got a clue. They're trying to work out where they are with a narcissist. And then when they work out that they are, they need to know how to manage it. And it's it's got to happen now. They're in this process. They're being taken to court. They're being run ragged. They're being abused even more than they were. And they need someone who is telling them 
you know exactly what's going on well this is why this is happening this is why that's happening you mentioned the gray rock technique in one of your articles i noticed you know i've talked about that how to reduce narcissistic supply how to manage the narcissist talking about that the sandwich that you mentioned all of those things because they can make it worse they can make it so much worse for themselves by feeding into the drama so it's really about sort of explaining what's going on and helping them through step by step i'm now write their emails for them i'll manage their communications with the narcissist literally manage their texts um, to try to, to, to hold back and reduce narcissistic supply. I get lots of lawyers kind of referring people to me that they can't manage. It's not appropriate for the lawyer to be managing that side of things. So so that's what I do, really. And it's, it's such a useful tool because it helps the client be in the position whereby they can deal with the process. Because actually, from a lawyer perspective, it's really hard to support them to be at the stage where they're ready to start negotiating and making decisions. Because if they're so badly battered um, and, they, and they're so, you know, they know there's a problem, but they don't know exactly what it is and they certainly don't know how to deal with it. And they're being bombarded with every five minutes communication or one minute it's looking at one thing, then it's a complete change to something different, the constant gaslighting. And being able to identify that. I know we've been talking a lot this afternoon about that narcissists can change if they really want to but in a divorce process they don't miraculously change at all you know they are what they are and I think that their spouse often thinks that the court system will make them do things differently no one can make someone do what then they don't want to do or they're not going to do And and the court doesn't do that it's not there to do that and so where Supriya is invaluable Um, in my view, is helping people understand that they're not going to change. And it's actually you that have to change and learn how to deal with it so that you change your reaction to the behaviour and you recognise it and you adapt rather than having this expectation that some person from above somewhere is going to create this sort of light bulb change moment. They just won't. They're not going to behave differently. And it's really important to understand that. Fundamentally, it's the most important thing to understand because until you've got over that, you're not really in a position to work towards achieving an outcome because you're always hoping that somebody else is going to make life better for you. Or you're hoping that they'll see sense, that, that yeah. suddenly the narcissist will see sense, which, of course, isn't going to happen. happen. I mean, my aim is really to teach them about it, because if this carries on, it turns into post-separation abuse. Mm. It turns into abuse post-divorce, using the children as, as weapons of abuse. Exactly. Yeah. And another reason why I do this is because it, I can reduce costs overall. Costs just spiral out of control because they're, they're continually feeding the drama. So it's it's really important to, to stop because obviously that has implications for the family, for the children as well. They want to spend their money in a cost effective way on something useful. Exactly that. Well, that's something that interests me a great deal. There's a lot of therapists I know that we, we don't know what to do. You know, we can only do so much in a therapy session and we want to work on the therapy aspect of it. But there's so much more, as you're pointing out, you know, ways of saying things, realistic things. They just have nobody who can answer these questions. They really ask questions that they could ask you. And you would even know more than I would because, I, you know, I'm not in the court system. I'm, you would know pretty much what they needed to know because you've studied extensively what works and what comes up. In fact, it'd be great if you could teach an American course on that. You too, Karen, on how to mediate. We don't have, that's the biggest complaint that I hear, that they can't find a divorce lawyer, a mediator, or anybody that understands NPT. 
and uh, it's a really difficult situation. Well, that's exactly why Supriya and I have worked together. Together, we've got the combined information. Separately, we don't. Great. One of the questions we often get asked when we're doing talks, etc., is, is it possible for two narcissists to get into a relationship with each other? We know that the closet narcissist is quite often attracted to the exhibitionist narcissist and vice versa. But, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Because it's such an interesting dynamic that. Yes, I've seen all, all sorts. You know, you get the two power people. We see them in the news. I don't know their diagnosis, but, you know, the power couple. Both of them are very complicit in putting out social media that they're the perfect couple and, and they're both dynamos in their own area. They're very talented people. They join forces. So you can get two exhibitionists together who don't require intimacy, don't know what intimacy is. Mm-hmm. They require adulation, you know, not getting in the other's way. So you get this kind of twinship transference. We are great. They should admire us. Mm-hmm. It's like in the Middle Ages when you had a baron over here with his castle and a baron here with his castle. And sometimes they would become allies and sometimes they'd be competitors fighting to the death. So they could have an alliance against a third party or for a purpose to fight a war. I can't say that it will never last because mm-hmm. it might last with some people. But there's a lot of things that can annoy narcissists if they each trigger at each other then you get one of those contentious divorces they do evil things to each other Uh so i can see the exhibitionist exhibitionist couple the closet exhibitionist or two closets now surely the closet exhibitionist if neither of them are aware that they're narcissists that could go on for years couldn't it yeah neither of them know yeah. that they're narcissistic. That's right. I think these relationships can last their lifetimes. Obviously, they, they do split up, and we've seen that as well, but they seem to be the ones that can really go on for decades and decades and decades because it's kind of almost mutually beneficial in some ways, even though they're devaluing each other every now and then as well. It kind of works because the closet is giving the exhibitionists loads of narcissistic supply by reveling in their specialness. So it's such an interesting dynamic. If you're wondering whether your partner really is a narcissist, please do check out my online course, Is My Partner a Narcissist? Knowing for Sure. And if you want to understand narcissistic behaviours, you may be interested in my Demystifying the Narcissist online course. Both are available on drsapria.com. Exactly. And I met this couple. She was very obviously narcissistic to me. And she was bragging about her husband, who was a doctor and who had a cure for something, which was not a cure. And there was no science behind it, but he was a doctor. And they, she was so proud of him. And he would go around the country and give people hope with that disease and you know, tell them what they should eat and what supplements to take. And she was wearing a suit with no top under it. So it was very low cut, like a men's pinstripe suit, just the way she spoke and what she was showing and, you know, her pride in her husband. And the husband 
looked modest and not very good looking. So if a woman that good looking was going to be with him, it was because he was special. You know, so I figured he's a narcissist because it was really grandiose to say everybody's wrong. And then he was wrong. <laughs> I mean, his cure didn't apparently work. Or we'd know about it today. You know, she was just so proud to travel with him. The worst combination was narcissist with schizoid. I don't know how much you know about schizoid personality disorder. I won't take up the time now, but that's the absolute worst. The next worst is borderline. But in the beginning, they're very well matched because borderlines are impulsive. Narcissists are impulsive. They both idealize immediately. They both split. They can have a very nice courtship because they're on the same page. If the woman's borderline, she's likely to be fairly warm and creative and supportive and empathic and what have you. And he's not. But then when it gets to the middle port, when he starts devaluing her, she's very insecure about abandonment and, and also some about engulfment by the emotional needs of someone else. So then it becomes that wrecks the relationship and they're going to separate. So I'll see a lot of women with at least borderline tendencies yeah. and rose colored glasses. You talked about fear of abandonment there with borderlines, and we know that's a kind of characteristic of borderline personality disorder. But, you know, I, I do see it in narcissists. I think, you know, is that a characteristic of narcissism? Obviously, it's not in the DSM-5, but what do you think? If you're really ready to leave and you're with a narcissist, he will sense the reality of it and very often tighten up in, in a positive way and start to be better to you, to keep you. There's a sense they don't want to be left. Eleanor, can I just turn to this idea of hoovering, which I guess is, so fundamental to what happens within a relationship. I mean, hoovering works because one person's prepared to forgive and forget and try again. And and then it's sort of back to square one and all over again. But how long do you think it takes someone to break out of not being hoovered back? How do people break that or not fall for it again? Well, it, it varies with the people. What I call clingers and distances. If they're a clinger, they, they split themselves, so they split into rose-colored glasses. Some of the nicest, sweetest women I know have these rose-colored glasses on, and they just can't believe that somebody could do that to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's other people that they'll try it once. They'll let the person back in once, but that's it. You're out of here. So I get people who will never give up and will cling to the death. And then there's other people who get angry. And then there's other people that get heartbroken, but they have the ability to say no. The other thing that you've probably noticed a hundred times, but I've written about, but people don't realize it, is a subtype of narcissist that's an exhibitionist will slowly get control over a lot of your life. Absolutely. Piece by piece by offering to take awful jobs off your hand. And before you know it, you don't even know how much money you have in the bank. Yeah, they manage all the finances. They take all of that away from you. That you say you don't have to be troubled by any of that. And yeah, just bit by bit. When somebody gets to the end of their tether and they just think, you know, I can't do this relationship anymore and leaves the narcissist. And of course, the narcissist is very scared of losing supply, which triggers rage. How do you advise your clients to withstand that onslaught, that unadulterated, absolute blind rage? How do you help people withstand that? Well, what I do, ideally, if I get them early enough, 
and they're thinking of the divorce because I have people who come to me when they're thinking of a divorce, but they want to know if the husband's really a narcissist. So I tell them, listen, do as much as you can ahead of time. And one of the things that you need to do is form a support group for yourself of people that you absolutely trust who will come to your aid, who you know you can sleep at their house or that they know this is going on and that you can call them to retain your sanity because you're going to think you're going crazy once he flips on you. And he's going to do his best to drive you crazy. I did have a client who was hospitalized because she was more fragile and she became paranoid. Okay, because, you know, was he listening in on her? Had he, because he was very checky and she, she, began, she had paranoid thoughts about him controlling her computer, that he knew things that he should know. We have a whole podcast, couple of podcast episodes on cyber stalking because it genuinely does happen with narcissists. Yeah. Yes. And unfortunately, she she had a paranoid psychosis as a result, which is very interesting because I studied with somebody that had some interesting theories on why stress would cause the psychosis in one person, um, a gut reaction in another where they have diarrhea and they can't digest food and other people will just get a pain in the neck or a backache or something was stressed and but um, this person was vulnerable the the chemistry in her body was vulnerable to stress and it went to her brain and and she was vulnerable to psychosis and ended up in a mental hospital so i say get yourself a support group get your lawyer or your team set up ahead of time get as much information as you can about the finances and stuff while you're still in and I know you, you feel like you shouldn't be devious, but you're going to have to be super devious because otherwise you're going to get squished. And if you can start moving some of your valuables out. Or sentimental things. It's often the, the Mother's Day card that was made when the children were five that's irreplaceable. Those things as much as the valuable items, I find. Downloading the family um photographs I don't know how many times I've heard this where the family photographs have been online and the narcissist has been the techie one with the passwords and they've taken the non-narcissistic spouse off so they no longer have access to, to their own children's photos and, and that's something that that's so so common or they'll actually for physical photos they'll remove them or burn them or destroy them or you know hide them yeah that was irreplaceable but also, you know, if I get them early enough, I start to prepare them for the rage. If they're really a milk toast, I'll do role play with them. I said, tell me about your husband and what he might say to you. What's the worst thing he's ever said yeah. to you? And we're going to play it. You'll play, you'll play your husband. You'll say them to me and I'll give different responses. Some of them will be apt. Some of them may not work, but you'll just see what could be done. You know, so I'll get a little bit uh, used to ahead of time, hearing the worst things he might say to them and hearing me counter them. So it changes the dynamic a little bit in their mind if it works. So that's my prep for the rage. And leave as soon as possible, unless your lawyer tells you to stay in the house, you know, but have a plan, have a bag packed. Yeah. If you have to, you know, have something there that if it's intolerable to you and you feel like you're going to break down, that you can just leave and walk out with. And that has, you don't have to start gathering things. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites, thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.